Hello, everybody. I hope you are doing well today. And whether you are new here on campus or you're new online, I'm so glad you've chosen to join us. And I'd, I'd like to tell you, you've come on a great Sunday because today we're starting a brand new series called Say What? Can you say that with me? All right, let's say that together in count of three. One, two, three. Yeah, so that's our new series. That's actually a statement that all of us say on a consistent basis, especially when we're reading scripture. So there are things that God says in the Bible that make us pause and say, say what? You want me to do what? You want me to forgive people who hurt me? You want me to love people who are hard to love? You want me to not worry about anything? There are many things that God says in the Bible that cause us to pause and say, that doesn't make sense. Like, you got to help me understand that. So today and over the next four weeks, we are going to try to make sense of some of the commands of God that don't make sense. And one of the great things about this series is that it is applicable for all of us. So whether you're a Christ follower or not, we can all benefit from what we're going to learn together in this series. Now, today we'll start, and we'll start by talking directly to Christ followers, but we'll extend that conversation today and throughout the next four weeks to all of us, whether you're a Christ follower or not. And the cool thing about this series is you don't have to believe in Jesus to benefit from his teachings. You can benefit from the teachings of Jesus in significant ways and even yet not believe in him. So I think this series is going to be beneficial for all of us. Now, as we begin today, I have a confession to make. So is it okay if I get kind of personal with you today? Sure. Is that all right? Yeah. All right, for the three people that said yes, uh, here's my confession. For the rest of you, here's my confession. So I do not like to be told what to do. That's shocking, I know. Like, I don't like to be told what to do. I never have, like, I've struggled with this, like, all of my life. I remember as a young boy struggling with this. And uh, one of the examples I want to give you happened when I was around five years old. And when I was around five years old, my family lived in Michigan. And we had this neighbor that stopped by, like, too often. And she was kind of a meddling neighbor, kind of a pesky neighbor, like, didn't know her boundaries, didn't know when she shouldn't insert herself into our family dynamics. Anybody have a neighbor like that? Anybody know a neighbor like that? Don't point at them if they, they're, they're next to you. But, like, I think we all kind of get that concept. Well, this lady stopped by one day. She was talking with my mom at the front door. I was in the living room, and my mom turned around and asked me to do something. And apparently, I wasn't moving fast enough. So this lady interrupted my mom and said to me, you heard your mother, so get up and do what she's asked. Anybody seen the movie Inside Out? The animated movie, the Pixar movie? All right, so the main characters of the movie are the emotions that we have. You know the anger character? Yeah, that was me in that moment. At uh, around five years old, I was furious. I'm thinking, like, I don't care if you're bigger than I am. Who are you? You're not my mom. You're not the boss of me. You're not going to tell me what to do. I did not like that woman telling me what to do. Now, here's my problem. I have a lot of problems, 
but here's one of my problems, okay? So one of my problems is around that same time frame, in that same home, I gave my heart to Jesus. That's not a problem, but let me tell you about it. So my mom and dad did an amazing job of applying scripture to their lives and to my life. And King Solomon said in Proverbs, he said, train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from that. So my mom and dad trained me from a baby about God, about how to have a relationship with him. They modeled very well what that meant. And so they exposed me to things of faith early in my life. And I had heard this term salvation and this term saved, but I didn't really know what it meant. So one day, sitting at the table, having a snack, my mom was washing dishes in the kitchen. And I said, Mom, what does it mean to be saved? So she got her Bible out, and she explained that Jesus died on the cross to forgive me for my sins, for the things that I had done wrong. And even though I was young, I knew I I had done some wrong things. I did not want to talk to my mom about those things in that moment, but I knew I had done things that needed to be forgiven. My mom explained that Jesus died on the cross to forgive me for those sins, to pay for those sins, and to save me from hell, to save me for heaven, that if I put my faith and trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I'd get to have a relationship with him all the rest of my life, and I'd get to have that relationship for all of eternity. And at a young age, that sounded like an amazing deal. I was so grateful for what God had done for me what Jesus had done on the cross for me. And so I'm not sure the exact day, but someday in that home in Michigan in 1976, I put my faith and trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I gave him my heart. I opened the door of my heart up to him to, for him to come in and be the boss of my life. There's many ways to say that, but I started a relationship with God. Now, again, that's not the problem. So here's where the problem comes in. As I've grown in my relationship with God, And one of the most significant ways to grow in our relationship with God is by reading the Bible. That's where we get to see God and get to know him personally. That's where we get to learn how he wants us to live. And as I've grown in my relationship with God over these these past years, there have been many moments as I've been reading scripture that I've paused and said, say what? You want me to do what? And here's an example of that. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14. In John 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, and to that I and many of us who have a relationship with God and understand what Jesus has done on the cross for us, we say, yes, Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful for what you have done for us. We love you. And then Jesus continues. He says, if you love me, what's that next word? I'm glad you said it because I have a hard time saying it. If you love me, obey my commandments. That's where I pause and I say, say what? What do you want me to do? Like Jesus, it would make way more sense if you said, if you love me, do something big for me. If you love me, go tell a lot of people about me or sacrifice your life for me. But Jesus, why did you say, if you love me, obey me? Don't you know I don't like to be told what to do? Jesus made me. So Jesus knows that I don't like to be told what to do. Anybody else struggle with that? Anybody else struggle with being told what to do? 
Anybody else struggle with wanting to love God and yet wanting to do your own thing, your own way? All right, well, welcome to our recovery group. My name is Trent, (laughs) and I struggle with obedience. That's a big deal in my life. It's actually a common human condition. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 6, he said, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. So you know what all of us means? Each and every single one of us who have ever lived, who will ever live, we all have left God's paths to follow our our own. Why? Because we don't like to be told what to do. There's only one person who didn't mind being told what to do. And if you're thinking the answer is Jesus, because most often in church the answer is always Jesus, you're right, the answer is Jesus. Jesus said this in John 6, 38, He said, I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And then Jesus went on and he proved that. That wasn't just lip service. That wasn't just words from Jesus. Jesus proved that with his life. But sometimes when we come across those things in scripture, we just have a wrong perception of Jesus. We just have a wrong idea of who he really is. And we think, you know what? It must have been easy for Jesus. He was God the Son, must have been easy for him to do what God the Father asked, but Scripture does not reveal that to us. I'm going to show you two instances today in Scripture where it says Jesus struggled with what God the Father had asked him to do. The first thing we're going to look at is found in Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. And this is right after Jesus had the Last Supper with his disciples, and right before he was arrested and then crucified. And he had this deep conversation with his heavenly father in that moment. And verse 36 says this, it says, then Jesus went with them, meaning his disciples, to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther, bowed his face to the ground, praying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. I'm curious uh, for us to participate together on what this cup of suffering might have involved. So feel free to, to give an answer out loud. If you're watching online, feel free to to type that in the chats, but what did this cup of suffering involve? His blood? Yeah, his own blood. What was that? Crucifixion. Yep. What was that? Betrayal. Somebody else? Torture. It involved taking on the sin of the world as if he committed those sins, being unjustly accused for things that he didn't commit, being whipped beyond recognition. Scripture says that you couldn't recognize Jesus as a human being after the Roman soldiers were done with him. I've never seen a movie that has even come close to that. Even Passion of the Christ, as gory as it was, didn't come close to what Jesus went through. Had his beard ripped out. He was ridiculed. He was spit on. All the while having all the power of the universe 
to end it like that. He didn't engage that. He drank that cup of suffering. So it makes sense to me when I think about that, that Jesus would say, like, time out. Like, I'm not so sure I really want to do that. That sounds horrible. Verse 39 continues, and Jesus said to his heavenly father, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. In verse 42, he prayed a second time, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And then verse 44 says he prayed that same prayer a third time. Now, let's try to put ourselves in Jesus' sandals for just a moment. So imagine that that God comes to you one day and says, hey, there's this person that I love. They've messed up royally. Like, they can't pay for their sins. There's no way for them to get back in a right relationship with me. And so I'm asking you to pay for their sins. I would like you to pay for their sins with your life. I'd like you to die in their place. Anybody excited about that? Anybody eager? Like, yeah, like God, absolutely. Crucifixion, you bet, even better. Like I would do that, like any of us would say that? Like, no, most of us would say, uh, no thanks, let them pay for their own sins. They messed it up, let them fix it. Yet Jesus said, if that's the only way for people to be made right with you for all of eternity, yes, I will do that. And in that moment, we see Jesus' humanity and his complete surrender to the will of his heavenly father. Now again, we struggle with the right perception of Jesus, understanding who he was. And again, sometimes we think, you know, he was 100% God, so he didn't struggle with this. And then there's other moments we have this weird idea about Jesus that like he was some sort of demigod, like out of Greek mythology, like half human, half God, like some kind of mutant, and he wasn't. He was 100% God. 100% man, and he knows exactly what it's like to be us. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to face everything that we face. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 says, this high priest of ours talking about Jesus understands our weaknesses. And it's not that he understands our weaknesses because he created us and he's just looking at us from the outside. No, he understands from a different perspective. It goes on and it says, for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. The New International Version of the Bible translates that verse this way. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You know, there is no temptation that you can face that Jesus hasn't already defeated. There is no moment that you can face a temptation that you can say, nobody knows what it's like to be me. Nobody knows what I'm facing right now. There's not a moment in your life where you can ever say that. Jesus knows what every temptation is like even the temptation to disobey God. Yet Jesus never gave in to that. Jesus never said, you're not the boss of me, so you can't tell me what to do. I've said that a whole lot. Jesus never said that to his heavenly father. He said, I will always do what my father asks, even if it requires my life. 
I will always do that. When I understand that about Jesus, I am just in awe of him. One of the things I love about reading scripture is seeing Jesus at work doing what Jesus does. And when I watch Jesus behave that way, I want to be more like him. I I love Jesus. I love what he's done for me. And I want to be more like him. But I know to be more like him involves this thing that I struggle with called obedience. I struggle to obey. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. So let me speak directly to those of you who are Christ followers for just a moment. If you're a Christ follower, how are you doing at obeying God? How are you doing at obeying what you know he says in scripture for you to do? Is there any area of your life where you are knowingly disobeying him right now? How are you doing in your relationships? If you are a child, how are you doing at obeying your parents? If you're a parent, how are you doing at honoring your kids? If you're married, how are you doing at loving and uh, honoring and respecting your spouse? How are you doing at work with your boss? Are you working as if you're working unto the Lord? Or do you talk trash behind your boss's back all the time? If you're a boss, how are you doing at taking care of your employees? How are you doing at loving people who are hard to love? How are you doing at forgiving people who have hurt you? Is there anything that you're engaging in your life right now that you know in the the core of your heart that God's not okay with you doing that? If so, what will you do about it? Will you continue on in your disobedience? Or will you try to fix that thing? Listen to the very unusual thing God tells us to do in our moments of struggle. He says in Hebrews 4, verse 16, it says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So when do we need grace and mercy the most? When we're messing up when we're sinning, when we're turning away from God, when we're saying, I don't want to do what you want me to do, when we're disobeying is the moment that we need it the most. So in those moments, God says, come boldly, come quickly to me, and you'll find grace, you'll find mercy to help you start again. So what that tells me is that God is not sitting up in heaven with a lightning bolt with my name on it waiting for me to screw up so he can launch that thing at me. No, what God is doing is he's waiting for me to come run to him in those moments when I mess up. And, and I don't often do that. My struggle with sin and obeying God is when I sin, when I mess up, I usually run away. And I feel like I've got to earn some Uh, right behavior, some right time to get back into a right relationship with God. But God says, like, don't do that. Don't run away. When you mess up, when you struggle with sin, come run to me where you will see bucket loads of grace and mercy, and I'll help you start again. I'll help you learn to love me. I'll help you even learn to obey me. One of the things I've found in my life is that obedience is always the best choice. Obeying God's always the best choice. 
There's never been one time in my life when I look back when God asked me to do something and it didn't work out and God didn't show up and God didn't reveal himself and God didn't walk me through that. There's not been one time. God has not let me down one time in my life. I've let God down on multiple occasions. God has never let me down. So obedience is always the right choice. And even when I struggle to obey God, God's right there to pour out grace and mercy. In those moments when I'm like a little toddler, when I'm like back when I was five, like telling that lady, you're not the boss of me. In those moments when I tell God, you're not the boss of me. I don't want to do what you want me to do in those moments. God's right there. He pours out grace and mercy and he helps me start over. I love that about God. And then in those moments when I do surrender my will to God's will, and I say, God, like, this is hard, but I want to do what you want me to do. Like, I want to demonstrate my love for you. In those moments, God's right there to empower me to do that again, and he cheers me on as I learn to become a little bit more like Jesus. I love that about God. So obedience to God is always the best choice. Now, here's the secret to obedience. The secret to obedience is found in surrender. I know we don't like that word. We struggle with that word. But it's found when we say, like Jesus, God, I want your will to be done, not mine. When we learn how to surrender to God on a regular basis, we learn how to trust him more, we learn how to love him more, we learn how to obey him more. And that's what it's like to have a relationship with the creator of the universe who pours out bucket loads of grace for us when we take two steps forward in our relationship with him and one step back, he's right there to love us and help us move forward. When we take one step forward and two steps back, guess where he is? Right there. Guess where he is when we take three steps back? He's right there. He's right there to help us continue to move forward, but it's found in surrender. So true obedience to our God is found in surrender. And if, if you're anything like me, uh, surrender is a dirty word. I don't like that word. Like, I don't want to surrender to anybody at any time. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm very competitive in my life. I don't want to surrender at all, ever. My motto for life is never give up, never surrender. I see it as a sign of defeat. I see it as a sign of weakness. But in our relationship with God, it's a sign of strength true strength, where we learn to say, God, I can't. Like, I can't do this on my own. I'm not strong enough. I need your help to learn how to obey you in the ways that I know I need to, in ways that bring the most honor and glory to you. So I need your help. So again, surrendering is one of the greatest things that we can do in our relationship with God. On your seat is a little white flag of surrender. So I encourage you to grab that for, for just a moment. And uh, there should be some around. Hopefully there's enough. If there's not uh, one uh, for you on your seat, there's some at the back of each seating section. And, and let's all do the fun thing together real quick. Let's all wave our flags, all right? Isn't that great? Isn't that fun? Don't you just love doing that? Like, no, we don't love doing that. Put that down. All right, we're going to create a, a moment for us to surrender I don't know what that moment might be for you, but you know, maybe it's, it's a moment where God's asked you to do something and you're saying, like, I don't want to do that. There's no way. I'm not doing that. And yet you know you need to do that. Maybe there's a relationship you need to surrender to God. 
Maybe there's an attitude you need to surrender. Maybe there's an addiction. Maybe there's a fear. Maybe there's a dream. Maybe there's a career. I don't know what your thing of surrender might be, but I know we all have issues that we need to surrender to God. Maybe today the thing that you need to surrender is your heart. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe today your little heart needs to raise its flag of surrender and say, Jesus, like I can't keep doing it on my own. I need you. I need you to be the, the Lord of my life. So again, I don't know what you may need to surrender in your life, but this flag represents something I have needed to surrender in my life. I've had this flag for over 18 years. For over 18 years, this flag has sat on my desk to remind me that I need to surrender to God on a regular basis. And for those of you who don't know me, there's two things I've never wanted to do in my life. One was be a pastor, and two is work at a church. Guess what I do? <laughs> I'm a pastor, I work at a church. Over 21 years ago, God called me into ministry. And I thought that maybe it was gonna be a detour of my career, like a short-term stopover. Like I would just do that for a few years and then get on with my career plans. And God said, nope, I'm asking you to do this for a long time. And I wrestled with that in the first few years of being in ministry. I, I struggled significantly with that. And after one intense battle in my relationship with God over obedience, over this issue of surrender, I said, God, you win. I surrender. And on that date, I wrote the date down. I wrote, God, I surrender my dreams my rights, my pride, and I signed my name. And I put this in a cup on my desk, again, for over 18 years, and I see it often, and it reminds me on a regular basis, there are many things I need to surrender to God. And there are moments I pull this little flag out and I say, God, that's another issue in my life. I gotta surrender this new thing to you. God, I surrender, why? Because I found that obedience is always the best choice. It's always the best choice. And the secret to obedience is found in surrender. So I don't know what you might need to surrender, but I'm pretty sure there's something. And as we close today, our worship team is going to guide us through a song that's very meaningful to me. It's a song that, that God used in my life, again, over 18 years ago. And the song is simply called Surrender. It's a real simple song. I think you'll pick it up pretty quick. What I encourage you to do while we are listening to this song, while we are singing this song, I encourage you to write down the thing you need to surrender. And write out a surrender declaration. Write the date. Write, God, I surrender, and whatever it is, whatever you need to surrender. And then sign your name at the bottom of it. Or at least start thinking about what you need to surrender. Maybe you fill this out later today or later this week. But I encourage you to fill this out. There is something all of us need to surrender to God. And then put this someplace where you can see it on a regular basis where it'll remind you that true strength in our relationship with God comes when we wave the white flag and we say, God, I surrender. I surrender to your will and your way for my life always. Again, whatever you need to surrender, I encourage you to do that. Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. Again, the secret to obedience is found in surrender. So if you would, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. And we're going to begin praying together. And I'm going to just talk to you a little bit while we pray.
So as we're praying, I'm just curious if there's anybody here willing to admit, you know there's something in your life, you know it right now that you need to surrender. And if so, would you just hold up your flag of surrender? Let me see it. Just hold it up. There's flags all over. I see them all over. Thank you for that. God, I just pray for these folks. They know already what this issue of surrender is. Lord, I pray that that they would be clear about it with themselves. And they would write out a declaration of surrender. They would surrender that thing, that, that this moment in this service today would be a defining moment for them, that they would walk out of here different. They would walk out of here stronger. They would walk out of here empowered by you to live the life that you've asked them to live. And Lord, in those moments when they struggle to disobey you in this area, may they come running back to you quickly where they will find grace and mercy and where you will be right there to help them start over again. As we continue praying, I'm curious if there's anybody here willing to say, you know what, I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and yet I know that I need to do that in my life, and I want to do that right now. If so, if that's you, would you just hold up your flag of surrender for just a second? Just hold it up high where I can see it. I see, I see one. It's one. Just hold it up. One, two, three, four. Just hold it up. Four. I see those flags. Thank you for that. You can hold them down. So God, I thank you for these people who are willing to hold up the flag of surrender in their heart and, and invite you in to be their personal Lord and Savior. So if you are a person who's raised your flag here on campus or online, I encourage you to just have a conversation with God during this song. Tell God you need him. Tell God you believe that, that you, he sent Jesus to die so you can have eternal life. And then open the door to your heart. Invite Jesus in. And scripture says he will come in. He'll be your friend. He'll start a relationship with you that will last all of your life and will last for all of eternity. So God, I'm so grateful for these people and their courage to say this. I pray that you'd be with them. I pray that you'd be with anybody online who's raised that flag in their heart as well. Lord, empower us to learn how to love you because of all you've done for us. So today, Lord, we surrender. In Jesus' name.